Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. You and your cats, of course, are the reason we do this show. We help you to increase that wonderful bond you have with your feline friend. Today, I have my co-host and husband, Dewey, with us. Hello, cat people. Let me introduce uh, our cat, Tabasco. Let's see if he's awake enough uh, to say hello. Tabasco, are you awake enough for this show? Oh, he is. Hello. During the show, find us on Facebook. We are Cat Behavior Solutions on Facebook. And if you'll follow along, you'll see an on-the-air live graphic where we will be posting visuals that go along with some of the things that we're talking about. And today, we're going to be talking about leading medical issues in your cat. And later on, we'll be joined by Dr. Jennifer Lavender from Metropause Animal Hospital. Yes, and we'd like to thank you and also tell you that you your calls are very important to us. So if you would, please call in to us. I'll repeat the number. It's 866-472-5788. We'd love to hear from you. And before we jump into medical issues, let's talk about our Cat of the Week. This is a really special one. Our Cat of the Week is Chief Hopper. And Chief Hopper was one of our amputee fosters as a kitten. We actually named him Buddha Belly because he had this giant belly. And we were afraid of all kinds of medical conditions, FIP being the most serious. But he grew into his belly. And his adoptive mom and dad had renamed him Chief Hopper. I can understand. And this little guy had such cute expressions as a kitten. And you'll see if you go to our Facebook page, you'll look at the cat of the week this week. It, as a kitten, when he was here fostering with us and then as an adult and you can see he hasn't changed very much and he has his very own instagram account and you can follow him at chief hopper that is incredible and like to remind everyone out there that if you'd like to have your cat featured on our show please email the photos and a conversation about your cat uh, to molly at cattalkradio.com So, as we get into the show today, we're going to be talking about a very important issue, cat health. And it's important because cats have transitioned from the outside to the inside. The more that uh, life goes on, the more that we see cats indoors instead of outdoors. And logically, that would generally mean that they would die of geriatric geriatric disease uh, as opposed to some of the natural hazards that they face in the outdoors. So... Uh, I'm sure there are things that we can do to prevent some of this common fatal disease in cats, and we'll be talking more about that when we're joined by Dr. Jennifer Lavender uh, from the Metropause Animal Hospital. But first, let's get, before we get started in that, let's talk uh, a little bit about uh, how that looks to cats when you go to vets. There's a lot of stress uh, trying to take your cat to the, to the doctor. Yeah, that's that's the hardest part 
Um, I've actually had three calls this week, behavior calls from people describing their cats as so aggressive when they go to the vet that they have to be sedated for a routine exam. It's it's a serious problem. Um, cats are considered underserved for veterinary care. Recent studies show that over 50% of cat owners just don't take their cats for regular vet visits. Is that due to the expense? I mean, because it's expensive to take your animal to the doctor. Is that right? No, actually, you would think that, of course, but actually the study shows that it's not due to cost at all. It's about how difficult that process is for both you and your cat. Both of you get so super stressed out about going to the vet. And that makes sense when you think about it, because we talk a lot about how territorial cats are. They're very comfortable in their home zone, their established space, and very uncomfortable when you remove them from that space. You know, dogs are all happy to go on adventures, and people let the vets give me treats, and it can be fun. But cats are, like, not in for that at all. But it's so important to take your animal to the hospital because you want to see some of the early signs like us humans you want to be able to see some early signs of disease so you can get ahead of it and not necessarily have that jump on you all at once yeah it's you know preventative care is very important too not just identifying disease once someone in our cat is showing symptoms of it it's um, preventative is super important too but it's very, very important to reduce fear, anxiety, and stress. This is what we call FAS from your pet's life. And a visit, vet visit ranks as one of the most stressful events in your pet's life, his whole life is going to the vet. And states of stress in a cat, we call this the fear cascade. They range from freezing to fidgeting and fretting and then flight and fight. So you don't want a cat to be so stressed that, you know, it harms itself or it harms people during a vet visit. And as we've talked about, most cats, not Chief Hopper, obviously, but most cats don't have a lot of expression on their face and they don't communicate how they're feeling. So it's really, really difficult to determine some of those mild signs of stress. So some of those, you know, you don't, you don't want to wait until the cat is ripping your face off. You want to look at some of those more subtle signs like avoiding eye contact, excessive shedding, drooling. You've seen that. Tabasco sometimes drools when yes. we're going back and forth from Santa Fe in the car. Perspiration on their feet. Um, of course, hissing and growling are at the far end of the spectrum, but before they get there, you might see their ears flattened out and their eyes dilated. Lip licking assuming you haven't fed them something really tasty, (laughs) lip licking is also a common stress-related motion. And, you know, their body posture, if they're crouched with their tail wrapped around them, that's a very stressful position. If their tail's flicking and if they're panting, you know, a lot of people think, well, my dog pants, it's natural. It is not natural for your cat to pant. If your cat is panting, it is very stressed. It's not not a heat thing. And we want to make sure we're reducing the stress because long-term effects of stress can actually impair the immune system. It can delay wound healing and recovery. They can get ulcers. They can get inflammatory bowel disease and, of course, behavior disorders. And we want to we work hard at reducing stress in the home every day, but reducing this super powerful stress event of going to the vet is major, major important. 
Not only that, but it's very stressful for the people that are trying to take their cats to the vet. I know that we ha- often have that same problem trying to get them into a carrier when they know that something's going wrong, something different in their life. So how do you reduce the stress for both the people and the cats before you take them to the vet? Well, it's real important to, um, well, ideally, it's really important to start with a kitten, you know, before the 12 to 14 age week, 12 to 14 weeks of age, um, teaching it how to have shot desensitization, you know, to sit on mark and to target into position and some things like that that are a little more advanced training techniques. But if you start with a young kitten, by the time it's an adult, some of the things that it experiences at a vet are not as unfamiliar and, and they don't freak out as much. You know, and if your pet has really severe stress, then your vet's plan might include what we call PVPs, which are pre-visit pharmaceuticals, and that helps to manage that fear cascade. You won't want to avoid that if, if at all possible. And obviously, we want to try to manage the stress without pharmaceuticals, but, you know, if you can't, then by all means, do what your vet recommends. Um, I think you should start with yourself. You want to make sure your cat actually picks up on your stress about going to the vet. There was a a study done at the University of Pisa that said that 78% of cats knew they were going to the vet before they arrived. And they're picking up on those cues from you. So it's real important for you to, to take some really deep breathing exercises, relax yourself, give yourself plenty of time, don't feel rushed. And certainly don't speak to your cat in that sing-song voice, you know. Oh, Tabasco, don't worry. We're going to go see Dr. Lavender, and you're going to love it because they know you're trying to de-stress them. You need to be relaxed and speak to them in a normal tone. I know what our cat always says, not today. (laughs) Yes, he does, although he loves Dr. Lavender. So some other things you can do, um, identify a really high value treat reward for your cat, not just the little treats you give them all the time, but something really, really special, whether that's bonito flakes or canned cheese or whatever it is, and put some of that in a, in a package to take with you to the vet office. Now, I've seen some, some very unusual um, vet treats lately, and we're going we're gonna to post those, but... Um, I, I think you ought to stick to Bonito Flakes and, and maybe some freeze-dried chicken and things that are really good for your cat. So another thing to do is put on classical music for your cat, or better yet, use the iCalm Cat. It is a small portable device, and it has a music card in it that the frequency has been modulated specifically to calm cats. So put that on in the house, you know, an hour before you leave. Take it with you in the car, and then take it with you in the exam room so that you're continuing that stress relieving from an audible standpoint. Um, spray something soft that, that the cat likes to sleep on, like a towel or his bedding, with a pheromone spray. And then, you know, 10 minutes before you go, and then maybe put that bed or that towel in the carrier so that they're not on a slippery surface in the carrier. Maybe spray some on some of their favorite toys and take those in the carrier along with you. And then go out and spray your car with those pheromones also. I like the feel-away multi-cat the best. Um, 
and then tune your car while you're out there. Tune your car to a classical station or an audiobook that also has been shown to reduce stress in cats and adjust your temperature to the car so that it's a comfortable temperature. You know, let your car run and get all that set up. Wait 10 minutes and then have your cat enter the carrier on command. That sounds easy, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> right? I know it's not. And I have to tell this story about us taking two little kittens or three little kittens to the vet. Uh, and I tell you, we had them fostered for just for a couple of days. And it was an early morning visit, and we had to get up early to get them to the vet. And Molly and I went in there to the room where we had them, and they are in this nice, comfortable position. We thought we could just reach down and gently pick them up and put them into the carrier. They were not having any part of it. And all of a sudden, they just came unwound like little buzz saws and chewed us up. So I, I think that uh, we have to pay attention to this. Well, he fails to mention those were a couple of feral kittens we were fostering. But yes, that was quite the nightmare. (laughs) So be sure to use a carrier that has two exit paths, like a top-loading carrier. Load the cat from the top. Cover your carrier at least three sides with a towel. Go ahead and spray that towel with some of the pheromone spray, too. Give your cat time to relax in the carrier before taking it out to the car. And when you take your cat out to the car, pick it up. Don't don't carry it by the handle because that swings and jostles, and that's not comfortable for your cat, and it's just increasing the stress. So pick that carrier up and hold it from the bottom so that there's minimal stress. Take it out to the car. If it's not a crash-tested carrier, put it on the floor behind the passenger seat. That's a, that's a, the most secure place in the car. And, um, you know, also take turns slowly, you know. Don't drive like Dewey does. Don't brake suddenly. I resent that. Or maybe I resemble that. <laughs> Just take it slow. Accelerate slowly. You're not in a race to get to the vet. And when you get there, real important thing, leave the car running and go check in and let the receptionist know that you're there. You have the cat in the car and see if they'll text you when the doctor and the exam room are ready. This eliminates running into any other scary animals in the waiting room. And if you can't avoid the waiting room, then be sure to put your cat in the carrier up on an elevated surface. Get it up off the floor where dogs can can come stick their noses in. And then once you're in the exam room, the cat needs five to ten minutes to adjust to this new space. You want to take the lid off the carrier or the top off the carrier. Don't drag your cat out. Give it a chance to just relax in its own space. If the exam has to happen in the carrier itself, when you have one of those removable top carriers, that's an excellent place to let the vet examine the cat. There's no need to to drag it out and put it through any trauma. Well, that is amazing that we uh, have such a, a stressful situation uh, taken down to a lower level, and it really helps the kitties a lot. What do you think of that, Tabasco? He likes that. He likes a stress-free environment, especially when he's going to the doctor's office. So um, we're about to go on a break here pretty quick, and then afterwards we would like to have – we're, we're going to have Dr. Lavender on with us, and we're really looking forward to having some good questions and good dialogue with her. And before we go on break, we got to thank our very special friend, Brian Edwards, because if it weren't for Brian, we couldn't afford Tabasco's vet bills. 
Brian has a firm called Brian Edwards Wealth Management, and he has products for guaranteed lifetime income, and it helps me to sleep better at night knowing I'm going to be able to take care of Tabasco as he progresses into some of the inevitable geriatric diseases he's going to face as he gets older. He's going on 15, and so he's entering that age where you know he's gonna he's gonna start having some stuff going on so brian thank you and if you want to have guaranteed lifetime income why don't you go look brian up he's at brian edwards wealth management.com and i think we are ready to take a short break are we and I'd like to say that for all those that would like to advertise with us, we would like for you to send something to Molly at Cat Talk Radio, and we would love to advertise your business on our radio show. Absolutely. We're going to go on break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Dr. Jennifer Lavender, and we'll talk about some of these diseases that occur in cats and what we can do to prevent them. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Cat Talk Radio with Molly DeVos. To reach the show, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you may send an email to molly at cattalkradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Now, back to the show. 
Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cat Talk Radio. We have been talking today about how to get your cat to the vet in a less stressful manner. And we are joined now with Dr. Jennifer Lavender. She is one of the founders of Metropause Animal Hospital. They started in 2006, and they now have three locations in Dallas. She's also a, a leading orthopedic surgeon and has done many of the amputations and rods and pins type of surgeries for the cats that we foster. So welcome, Dr. Lavender. Thank you, Molly. Thanks for having me. And Dr. Lavender, thank you for joining us. We are excited about having the show with you and excited yeah. to uh, hear what you have to say. Uh, Molly's been talking about reducing stress with cats before they go to the vet. What happens mm-hmm. when your cat gets to the vet? What kind of stress relievers and things do you try to do and implement within your program behind the scenes? Well, well, I think Molly had a lot of good points about prior to coming, and I think it's important to realize that even though it's before you arrive in the building, that your veterinarian is still an integral part of that process, both in terms of kind of figuring out what your cat's individual needs are to reduce the stress prior, and then like Molly mentioned also, that there are some anti-anxiety medications that are available. Um, with the anti-anxiety medications, I, I do kind of encourage people to be open-minded about that because I think a lot of times what happens is if your pet has anxiety around the carrier or the car or the vet, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that when they get there, they experience anxiety and therefore they continue to associate those events with the anxiety. And sometimes if, and Molly mentioned also early on developmentally, if you can help those kittens and cats build memories that don't have the anxiety, they start to dissociate the event with the anxiety. And so just because you're trying a um, pharmaceutical approach to anxiety doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the case forever, but sometimes that will get your cat's brain calmed down enough where then they are open to that experience not being associated with, with anxiety. Um, I also think that Molly had great points about working with your veterinarian about how to actually uh, navigate that, that journey from the car into the, into the exam room. Um, we have some people that bring cats in and not even in carriers, just in their arms. And I can't impress enough how dangerous that is, not just for your cat's anxiety, but one leap out of your arms and out the front door and you could have a real catastrophe. But we see that all the time. Um, the top loading carriers and the ones where the tops come off is also so important because like Molly said, we don't even have to remove the cat from the carrier and they do have a sense of security in there and a sense of home. And, and, um, so that can be really, really helpful. I also think it's important to get those carriers out ahead of time and leave them out in the open either all the time or for sure a few days prior so that the cat isn't seeing that plastic box come out and knowing exactly what's going to happen. The other thing yeah, about uh, the action, yeah, um, and I know some people will actually kind of put treats in there and try and encourage them to go in, you know, the few days before. Um, one thing that is really important when you when you are the veterinarian is working with your veterinarian to understand the concept of need versus want. So as these cats come in, and one of the things that we're really trying to do is address your cats not only physical health but also their emotional health and well-being is to realize that although you may really want your kitty's nails trimmed that day, it may not be in the best interest long-term of reducing your cat's anxiety about going to the vet for us to push the issue and try to do some of those um, more unpleasant procedures or an ear cleaning or, or something that, that normally we wouldn't sedate your cat for. But just like Molly said, there are signs of anxiety that are very subtle. Your cat 
licking, like Molly was saying, can be a sign of anxiety or um, they freeze. And, and I'll have owners tell me a lot, oh, he's doing so well. He's not scared today. And I'm thinking to myself, he's, he's scared to death. He's frozen solid. And, but people see that stillness as calmness. And it's not always the case. And so it's surprising to me how many times I get pushback from clients that really want me to get that nail trim done regardless of, of the amount of restraint it's going to take to do that for their kitty. And so we're really starting to educate our clients on, on need versus want and helping them understand that although they may want it, today may not be the day, you know, and they may need to go home with a set of nail trimmers and just click them as they're walking around the house and get that cat used to the noise and, and play with the paws and desensitize them to the smaller pieces of that experience instead of overloading them all in an already stressful place at the office. Um, so I think, I think that open line of communication is so important to figure out where your cat's anxiety is and how to help alleviate it and, and to listen to your vet and work with them to, to accomplish that as much as possible. Yeah, all great points. In fact, we leave our carrier out all the time. I I, I don't yeah, ever put it up so that, mm-hmm. and I put like a bungee cord to hold the door open so he can't get in there and it mm-hmm. closes behind him and him freak exactly. out. Um, and then we do uh, obviously regular training in there, targeting into the carrier. But you know, before yeah. we go on and talk about leading diseases that you're seeing in cats today, I've had three mm-hmm. pica cases this week. And for people who don't know, pica is when a cat is consuming something other than food, so chewing on plastic or you know eating fabric or eating cat toys actually consuming them and it's a very very dangerous behavior and it and it's something that I, I don't think we know a lot about but I I've gotten three calls from people that want me to help them stop that behavior and um, mm-hmm. you know aside from the obvious stress you know I, I think that a lot of cats either have been bottle fed as kittens and are and are performing this behavior you know, in a suckling that's gotten out of hand or there's a, a huge amount of stress in the home that we need to, to reduce. But are there other things from a medical standpoint that you're seeing that can help prevent pica? Well, there's some theory about it being related to diet deficiencies. I think that the anxiety component of it is probably the, the bigger motivator for that behavior. Um, that being said, anxiety or can come from physiologic stress. So a routine examination and blood work is still important just to get a baseline on your cat's health because those types of, of illnesses manifest in cats so differently than dogs. Dogs will present with pretty classic signs for, for illnesses. Cats are such survivalists. They hide their illness so well that sometimes any odd behavior can be a sign of a medical condition. So I would definitely get a, a thorough exam. And then if something did come up on there, there may be some dietary alterations that could be made to help. And then for sure, if your cat has a predilection for certain materials, whether it's plastic bags or shoelaces or hair ties or something like that, it's your responsible responsibility as a pet owner to really, really, really commit as a family to keeping those items off the floor and out of your cat's reach because they can be life-threatening if those get stuck. Yeah, absolutely true. And the other one I'm hearing this week seems to be, you know, these these calls come in groups for me, but I've had three people <laughs> tell me about their cats being on medication. Uh, one of them is on, mm-hmm. on Paxil, and they've mm-hmm. just not been able to pill the cat. Obviously, grinding it and putting in their food never works because mm-hmm. cats you know so sensitive to that and you can't hide it in any any form of pill pocket or cover it with any amount of can 
cheese or whipped cream that gets it done. I mean, you you really have to learn to pill your cat, and and that yeah. in itself is a is a stressful stressful little you know scenario that an owner has to go through with its cat and can really put a wedge in the bond of their relationship. Do you have any tips and tricks on how to do that less stressfully? Well, one thing I would say is that, um, you know, we would never take our medications without a swallow of water afterwards, and yet we expect our pets to do that. So I do think it's real important to understand how to hold the head and position the pill when you put it in their mouth. But then I always encourage people to have a syringe of water and just squirt a couple mils of water in your kitty's mouth. And and one, that's going to stimulate them to swallow, but more importantly, it's going to help them adequately swallow and get that pill past their larynx. And then the experience hopefully won't be as uncomfortable for them. But how many times have we pilled them and it kind of gets stuck in their throat like it does with us and they can't ask for water like we can? So that's one thing that I really encourage people to do. The other thing is there are some tricks in terms of just kind of placing your hand on the top of their head with your um, forefinger and your thumb right underneath their cheekbones. And if you'll just pull their head up gently, usually that bottom jaw will fall open a little bit and you should be able to get the pill in a, a good spot in the back. But that's something, too, that I would really encourage people to talk to their veterinarian about having an actual demonstration. Every every vet tech is an expert at killing at pilling kitties, and they're a great resource to really do a demonstration with the clients and help them understand some of the things that we do in the office to facilitate that. Oh, that's great. That, that's That's perfect. And so what are some of the leading diseases you're seeing in felines today? I imagine this has changed over the last, you know, few decades. What are you seeing most of now? Um, Well, we still see a fair amount of obesity uh, and then diabetes secondary to that. Um, I think a lot of that is from lack of exercise at home, stimulating kitties, oftentimes a diet that's too high in carbohydrates. Or just free feeding and leaving a big bowl of food out all the time. Um, that's and then being confused why your kitty's overweight. <laughs> we also see a lot of kidney disease as cats get older. Mm-hmm. Which is which is from also a lot of nutrition um, lack of feeding responsibly yes. in cats. Yes, and also water consumption. You know, cats need multiple resources centers within the home. I think the idea of having one litter box, one food bowl, one one um, food bowl can cause a lot of resource anxiety for cats. Um, but more importantly, as cats get older, especially if they're overweight or have any degree of arthritis, you've got a kitty that's in the living room and doesn't necessarily want to walk to that back laundry room off the kitchen to get their water. And so the water consumption for those cats, which should be going up, tends to go down and not really meet the needs of the cat metabolically. So I think having multiple water stations for sure can be very beneficial to older kitties. Yeah. And um, I've had a lot of cases lately, uh, of course, you know, urinating outside the litter box is the yeah. number one call I get and um, and have had several diagnosis, you know, first thing I always tell people is I, I won't even begin a, a behavior modification treatment on urinating outside the litter box without them having gone to the vet and ruled out urinary tract infections mm-hmm. and any kind of kidney mm-hmm. and renal issues. Um, and I've had several of those come back lately going, oh my gosh, you know, my cat has a FLUTD. <laughs> and, and they, right. you know, of course, didn't know it. And um, are you seeing a rise in that? Or is that just, again, another one of those, that's this week's leading calls for me? I think that that's a constant. I don't think that it's necessarily gone up or down. That is such a, a, 
a hot topic all the time with feline medicine. Um, and then, you know, this dilemma about with feline lower urinary tract disease, when do we start them on antibiotics? Do they need that? Those are all difficult questions and I think have to be case by case. But again, the idea of the one litter box is also hard for cats. I think that they they often are going to need more than, especially if they have multiple cats in the household. And I know we all want to just have one litter box from a convenience standpoint, but cats are not really designed for that one resource station. Especially in a multi-cat household because you you get guarding of those resources and then cats are holding it. And just like us, if we're not drinking enough water and we're holding it, we end up with those same issues. (laughs) Exactly. And another one that I want to talk about is is thyroid disease. Boy, that has mm-hmm. been on the rise since the late seventies. Tell mm-hmm. tell us what you're seeing and think about that. So it, it's surprising to me how often uh, we see hyperthyroid cats. It is so common as they get older. Um, the typical signs are going to be restlessness, increased activity, and then most importantly, just dramatic weight loss in cats that are still eating adequately and they just waste away. Their body is just running in high gear all the time, turning through those calories. And over time, what happens is their heart rate and all their body systems are running too fast and and too high. And it causes a lot of stress to many organs, in particular, the heart. Um, The nice thing about hyperthyroidism in cats is that it is so easy to diagnose. It's a very simple blood test. And it's also very treatable. There's daily medication for it. Or if your cat is a candidate, there are also treatments to actually... um, cure your cat with radioactive iodine, which is a pretty amazing option. And there's not too many things we face that we have definite cures for. So um, as far as why we're seeing so much of it in the last 20 years or so, I don't know. But I definitely agree with you that it's it's out there. I, I heard that I've had two cats that I've done the radiation treatment on. One was a foster mm-hmm. and, and one was one of my own cats. And um, I heard that they can actually regrow thyroids, that, that that's actually what's happening. Theoretically, they could. I've never seen that happen, but that is theoretically a possibility. And the other thing that but I that saw recently... But that is a recently, great option. You know, you were mm-hmm. talking about the, the pilling of the kitties is that that eliminates the need to pill those cats twice a day for the rest of their lives, which can be a, a huge anxiety reduction for the cats as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In both of those cases, though, there were underlying heart issues that weren't presenting themselves until after the radiation treatment. And, uh, and oh, both wow. cats then mm-hmm. ended up with some, some heart issues that we didn't know about. But Well, and that's um, a- that's a good point because the thyroid drives everything. And so it can, when you start to treat it, you can have um, some backlash or some, some disorders that may have been subclinical before that now become exacerbated by getting the thyroid under control. The kidneys, are, we see that a lot. Um, at my office, when we start a cat on thyroid medication, we always come back 30 days and recheck the labs, the values, not just to make sure that dosage is right with the thyroid medication, but just as important to recheck those kidney values and make sure that nothing's creeping up on us there that we need to be aware of. And that's another good reason why it's so important to be getting annual blood work on your cat, especially once they're over five years or or so, so that you can catch these things before we're starting to see some of those secondary organ dysfunctions. 
You know, and I, I read another article. I think it was the Veterinary Journal of Medicine that was saying that they had they had related some of that potential thyroid disease maybe coming from uh, fire retardants in carpets and fabrics, since that coincided with about the time that we started using those products. Had you yeah. heard that too? I have yeah. heard that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of theories about just the rise of carcinogens in the environment and this phenomenon with cats and their thyroid. Absolutely. Well, and that's, that's scary because if they're the yellow canaries, it's, you know, <laughs> that's right, scary. It may, right. be, may be why so many women have hyperthyroidism they're dealing with today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we are going to go on a short break. And when we come back, we want to talk to you about what are some things that people can do to prevent some of these diseases. So you'll stay okay. with us? I will. Thank you, Molly. Great. Thanks. We'll be right back. Um, please stay tuned, and we'll hear from you in a second. Okay. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Cat Talk Radio with Molly DeVos. To reach the show, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you may send an email to molly at cattalkradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. 
we're here, and Molly DeVos and Dr. Lavender are here talking about how ways to reduce stress in our cats before we take them to the vets, and talking about some of the diseases that Dr. Lavender is seeing in her veterinary office. Dr. Lavender, I'd like to ask you, what can us cat people, cat owners, do to prevent some of these diseases? Well, I, I can't emphasize strongly enough the importance of annual blood work with cats. Cats are just the great pretenders. They are survivalists, and they do not um, show us the weakness of being ill like a dog does. And so us catching hyperthyroidism or kidney disease or diabetes is so easy on blood work to catch it early and intervene and help those from progressing as far as they do otherwise. That is my, my strongest, strongest recommendation. And also nutrition. You know, the, the role of nutrition yeah. in prevention is huge, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And I think that cats in particular tend to have um, historically inappropriate diets. You know, to to make a dry cereal, you've got to put so much starch and carbohydrate in there for the extruder machine to be able to actually make the kibble form and stick. And right there, you've got cats that are eating a, a cereal bread-based product whereas a cat in the wild would be eating almost exclusively protein and fat from their their strong carnivore diet. So I think that you really have to try to look for foods that are going to reduce the amount of carbs that your kitty is eating. That, that carb content is such a big contributor to the obesity and diabetes that we see in cats. Um, I'm so glad to hear you say that. It, last week when I was talking to Jackson Galaxy, we spent a lot of time on nutrition and and the mm-hmm. fact that you should absolutely just stop feeding your cats dry food, that it's it's a myth that it narks tartar, tartar off their teeth and, and all of that. It's just, right. and, and you know, one thing that it's he has in his book. Yeah, exactly. And and mm-hmm. I didn't know he he taught me this that it was invented you know in, during the war when there were meat rations that it was an, an a necessity oh, invention because wow. there were meat rations we didn't have enough meat to get to our soldiers mm-hmm. and we certainly had to stop feeding all kinds of meat to cats and so they invented right. dry food then as a and it's just kind of stuck as a as a convenient feeding source right. but unfortunate for the cats. Yes, Dr. Rebner, I'd like to talk to you about uh, heartworms in cats. I know you. we do mm-hmm. a lot. We talk a lot about uh, heartworms in dogs. Uh, do cats get heartworms? And if they do, how do you prevent it? So cats absolutely get heartworms. Um, the scary thing about heartworms, there's a lot of scary things about heartworms in cats versus dogs. Um, to start off with, we don't have a good blood test for heartworms in cats like we do with dogs. So diagnosing heartworms is very difficult in cats. Um, if your cat was to have an x-ray or an ultrasound, even those modalities don't typically show, um, show the heartworm. There is a, a, a form, a structure on the female worm that will show up on an ultrasound. The male worms don't show up at all. And then we have the same, similar limitations with, uh, with the blood test. So what happens in cats is because they only have a one or two worm burden, much lower, uh, worm burden than a, a heartworm positive dog, we can really miss those infections because of this limitation of the test. So right there, we've got a, a huge problem not being able to diagnose it. The other problem with cats and heartworms versus dogs is that the number one presenting sign for dogs with heartworms is coughing or exercise intolerance. Unfortunately, the number one presenting sign for cats with heartworm disease is sudden death, where that worm breaks off or they have a, a thromboemboli, a stroke associated from the heartworm in the heart. 
So it's a much more serious condition in the heart, in the cat. There's also new studies coming out that are showing that, that those immature worms may also cause inflammation in the lungs, which can be very damaging to the cat. So what's, again, going on about the difference with dogs, um, we also have no treatment for heartworms with cats. So if your dog gets heartworms, we have a few different treatment protocols to rid your dog of those adult heartworms. Cats, we don't have that option. So now I've got a disease that I can't test for, I can't treat if they get it, and the number one presenting sign is sudden death. The only the only thing I have in my arsenal to try and protect kitties from heartworms is prevention. Prevention, prevention, prevention. That comes in several different forms. There's some topical forms that um, cover fleas as well that can be given monthly. There's also an oral monthly heartworm prevention. But it is so, so, so important to have cats on heartworm prevention because, like I said before, we can't test for it, we can't treat it, and the... the um, consequences to your cat can be fatal is there so the the, just like in dogs do the heartworms in cats come from the fleas themselves it comes from the mosquito from the mosquito so So just having and so just having flea treatment on your cat isn't enough to prevent heartworms Correct. Yes, and your cat not going outside isn't enough to to protect your your cat from heartworms. I always tell people if that's the case, I'm going to come live at their house because I definitely have uh, heartworms. Sorry, (laughs) mosquitoes in my house from time to time. But the mosquito bites the animal, and when that that stalk, the proboscis, the needle-like structure on the front of the mosquito's head penetrates the skin microscopic larval forms of the heartworms are injected into your cat's skin at that time. They travel through the tissues eventually to the bloodstream where they start to mature and eventually develop into spaghetti-sized adult worms in the heart. Wow. I didn't know that. You taught me something today. And when I bring Yay. Tabasco in for his weigh-in, I want heartworm prevention for him. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And and at his age, is it ever, you know, like since he's 14, is it, do you, do you still do start heartworm prevention at 14? Yes, ab- absolutely. The, the risk is so much greater for every day that they're not protected. And the products that we have now, um, the antiparasitic drugs, they're really, really very tailored to neurotransmitters that are only found in the invertebrate parasite that we're trying to treat them for. So they're very, very safe for dogs and cats. You know, Dr. Lavender, that that is just, I'm, I'm just sitting here speechless thinking about the heartworm thing. I, I had that question and I really didn't know it was that intense. And uh, it really makes me start thinking about that a lot. And mosquitoes, we've got them around us, of course, downtown Dallas area. There's right. a lot of them. So it's a difficult thing. So you mentioned something earlier onto a different topic, uh, arthritis. So what percentage mm-hmm. of geriatric cats do you see with arthritis? That's a great question and a hard one to answer. I think arthritis is one of those things that cats really hide from us. Knowing your cat is in pain is difficult. They don't limp and cry out and give us the signs that dogs do. Sometimes just what we associate with your cat getting older and slowing down may actually be from some degree of of low-grade arthritis. Um, We do try to check range of motion in joints and try and assess the cat for, for pain responses when we do that in the exam room still hard because your cat's on high alert at that time and a lot of times they just don't show us those signs. It's important I think as cats get older to to consider putting them on joint supports and some of the holistic ways to keep the joints a little bit healthier 
Um, the problem with arthritis in cats is once, even if we do know that it's there and perhaps we took an x-ray and we're able to even see some signs of arthritis on that x-ray, we do not have good long-term anti-inflammatory medications for cats. Um, they just don't tolerate them the, the way that dogs do. And so our ability to relieve that pain is a little trickier with cats than it is with dogs. And would you say, too, that, that hydration m- might also work as an anti-inflammatory at For that sure. point? Yes. Yes. I think dehydration in cats is so multifactorial in terms of its effect on the cats. And I think that it is, it's just critical that as cats get older that we try to maintain their hydration. And their joints would definitely fall into that category. Great point, Molly. And I see, too, uh, of course, in, in declawed cats, um, more mm-hmm. arthritis and bone spurs, I guess arthritis in the form of bone spurs in their feet, which leads to a lot of litter box issues. Um, and, and But those you can probably x-ray for and see, right? Yes. A lo- um, arthritis sometimes has to be advanced to a certain degree to show up on an x-ray. So we may be seeing signs of that prior to just on physical exam or the history from the owner. But as it starts to to, um, progress, we can start to see some of those bone bone spurs and things that you alluded to on an x-ray. And And with the decal in particular, there's, you know, there's multiple ways to do that procedure. Um, And sometimes if it's a little bit less precise surgery that was done, there may be bone remnants and things that were left behind that can definitely be very irritating. And you can remove those with surgery, right? Um, it would depend on an x-ray. That would be kind of tricky. Yeah. But Getting back to fleas for a minute. I think it's more important to really take a good... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, getting back to fleas for a minute, I, I have seen... Mm-hmm. Um, quite a few flea allergy cases in the shelter where we get cats that have hair loss on their, you know, on their hind legs and, and back quarter and around their tail. And, uh, mm-hmm. and the shelter vets, you know, usually suspect a, a flea allergy. How do you treat allergies in cats? So allergies in cats, um, there is... There are antihistamines available. Cats are a little bit unpredictable in terms of their response to that, but it's certainly a safe method to try. Um, we also have cyclosporin or atopica that we use for cats that can sometimes be a little bit uh, more effective. And some of the cats really end up eventually needing steroid therapy too. That's a, a lot of side effects involved with that as well. So it's important to make sure you've exhausted other options other treatment modalities with your vet prior to pursuing that, um, you know, not to, not the least of which could potentially be fleas or, or diet. So sometimes we make sure these cats are on very, very um, comprehensive flea medication as well as a hypoallergenic diet. Mm-hmm. That's a good, that's a good point too. Um, and, and is it true, though, that that typically if a cat is presenting external uh, allergy-type issues like, you know, sores and hair loss and things, that that's usually an environmental allergy as opposed to food allergies present themselves in, in gas and, you know, discomfort and diarrhea and things like that? No, we see a lot of food allergies that manifest in skin issues. Really, that, that might even be more common than an IBD-type situation like you're talking about. 
but a food allergy would be very high on my list with a cat that's having recurrent skin issues. Mm, interesting. That's that's good to know. That's that's very good to know. So, Dr. Lavender, uh, tell us a little bit about your practice and uh, where you've come from. Well, I um, I grew up in Dallas. I went to A and M for vet school. When I came out of A and M, I did. Uh, an internship at a private emergency referral hospital in Houston for a year and was considering going on and doing a residency in surgery, but I was uh, really looking to move back to Dallas in particular. So I went ahead and and came back to Dallas. I did full-time emergency medicine for several years, which was an amazing experience. Um, We always tell new graduates that's the fastest way to, to see the widest variety of cases, and it really just helps Um, fill in a lot of education gaps that people have when they come out of school. So that was a great experience. Um, And then I did uh, full-time spay-neuter with a nonprofit group for a few years and um, really tried to address the overpopulation issue with um, spay-neuter education and making it safe and cost-effective to everybody. That was a very rewarding time. And then my business partner and I, who I opened the practice with, she and I were classmates together and we kept, every time we saw each other, we would talk about what we would do if we had our own place and the vision that we had for what kind of practice we wanted to have. And we eventually went ahead and, and opened our practices. And it's really been a dream come true because we've been able to implement a lot of the things that we were frustrated with. And, and I think part of it is really becoming more industry standard now. A lot of the things that we're talking about with Fear Free were real important to us early on. Um, but some of those practices do take a little bit more time. So the yeah, the um, they may not be as instantly profitable to to skip, but they were really important to us. So she and I were able to to kind of start a lot of that from from day one, which was very rewarding. That's great, and you know you do such a great job in our community, and we really appreciate everything that you've done, and we really appreciate you being here on the show with us today, uh, talking about stresses and talking about diseases and some of the some of the necessary uh, nutritions that are needed for cats, and we'd like to maybe sometime invite you back to the show. I'd love to come back. I had a great time. I appreciate you including me. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we're going to see you next week with Tabasco. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. All right. right. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Dewey. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Join us next week on Cat Talk Radio. Same time, same channel. Follow us on Twitter at Voice. For tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program next Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.